If you're like me, you probably enjoy uh, some good late night uh, comedy, these great these great talk show hosts who just have such a great way with words and fantastic way of being is a very witty and uh, you know we, we enjoy Jimmy Fallon and all of his creativity he's kind of the king in so many ways but there's another uh, talk show host that we really appreciate we think he's so witty and it's uh, Stephen Colbert now he's highly 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 political but that's also makes makes him incredibly funny for me um, but one time he was sitting down with, a, with an actor a comedian named Ricky Gervais this was just two months ago and Stephen Colbert is a very bold and unapologetic um, man of faith. He's a Catholic uh, guy, and he's unapologetic about that. So he sits down with Ricky Gervais, who is uh, an actor and a comedian, and he's also a, a professing, uh, he calls himself an agnostic atheist. Right? So he's like, you know, we're, nobody's really sure. And so uh, Colbert sits down with him. He says, okay, he says, hey, listen, let's debate religion. So, he, so Colbert turns to Gervais, and he says, why is there something rather than nothing? I mean, and Gervais says, well, what do you mean? I don't understand the question. And Colbert says, well, why is there something rather than there being nothing? Why is there a universe rather than there being nothing? And Gervais got all flustered and kind of frustrated. And, and he goes, well, surely the question isn't why, but how? And then, and then off he went. And, and they were both very funny and very witty, and they kind of had this dialogue together. But I, I was really struck by how quickly... And it wasn't, it wasn't an academic debate, so I'm not going to make too much of this. But it was just interesting how quickly he shifted away from thinking about why we're here at all. Let's not talk about why we're here, let's just talk about how. This morning I'm going to read from Genesis chapter 1. I'm going to read the whole chapter, up to Genesis chapter 2, three, a couple verses. We're going to go into a study from the beginning of the book of Genesis. It's probably going to take about 10 weeks. I'm going to do three chapters-ish or something like that. But for the next 10 weeks, I want to go back to the beginning of the origins of where this great grace came from that we are so excited about. And I want us to go back to the beginning to not deliberate about how we got here, because I don't think that's actually the most interesting question for us to be... If for, for those of you who are here who are searching or seeking, or you can, maybe you consider yourself agnostic and you're wondering, uh, exploring spirituality, I don't think the most interesting question is, is how we got here. I don't think the most interesting question is how long it took us to get here. I think the most interesting question, the thing that all, the depths of each human soul, that everybody, regardless of their worldview, is, is really concerned about, is why are, why are we here? Why am I here? And how do I make sense of my existence and of my life? I think that everybody has a sense that the world is not the way it should be. There is no shortage of things in your newsfeed, week in and week out, that make you say something is wrong with the world. There's no shortage of heartache and pain, frustration in all of your lives or your relationships or your bodies or, or, or your vocations. Or the, Everybody walks through these doors from Redeemer every single Sunday with different burdens. All of you do, all, starting with the preacher. We all do. And I think that deep down, all of us know that something's not right. Something needs to be put right with the world. Um, we don't respond to tragedies uh, you know, you don't read news reports and they say, well, there was a tragedy in this country and, again, our synaptic you know, connections misfired and that's why this happened. So everybody get over it. Defective biology. We're all evolving and that's why it happened. So let's just move on with our lives. We always relate to things with this sense of right and wrong, good and bad. Why is it happening? It's kind of underneath it all. It's kind of pervasive. That's why when you get a, a devastating phone call from a doctor and the, and the diagnosis isn't good... 
Regardless of your worldview, you don't just go, huh, thanks doc for the information, click. Well, heck of a thing, my biology is defective at a genetic level. And uh, well, I mean, that's just, that's just how it is and move on with our lives. We don't do that. We say, why is this happening to me? Why did it have to happen to them? Why, why? We're just constantly asking this, this question of why. When, when a relationship explodes or breaks up or a marriage breaks down or a romance ends or there's infidelity in some way, we always relate to it with a sense of why. Why did they and why did... We, nobody just sits back and says, well, I mean, our ancestors were not monogamous, so this should not surprise any of us. Let's just move on with our lives. We're all relating with a deep, constant, recurring sense of why. And so in uh, 1942 to 44, C.S. Lewis was a, was a philosopher, atheist, who came to Christian faith. And in this question of why, before we read this text here from Genesis 1, uh, he famously wrote some essays in which he says this, If the whole universe had no meaning, then we should have never found out that it had no meaning. Just as if there was no light in the universe, and therefore no creatures with eyes, we should have never known what dark was. Dark would have been without meaning. So let's go to God's word now. Let's read this passage from Genesis 1 and let's explore what does it say about the deepest longings in the human soul. Why are we here? Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. And let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse of the waters uh, from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning a second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place and let dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruits bearing uh, fruit which is in their seed, each according to its own kind on the earth, and it was so. And the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit which is in their seed, each according to its own kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens. Give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights. The greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. And the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give them light on the earth. To rule over the day and over the night. And to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the water swarm with the swarms of living creatures and let the birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth, and there was evening, and there was morning the fifth day. 
And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our own image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit, and you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, to every creeping thing on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. And thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work, all that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work and all that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day, and he made it holy. Because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. This is God's word. Now, Genesis 1 is one of the most striking, beautiful, meaningful, powerful passages in all of Scripture. It's also perhaps one of the most misread passages in all of Scripture. And when I say misread, this is what I mean. Genesis 1 is often read like it's an ancient essay. Here's an ancient essay, and the chief purpose of the ancient essay is to inform us about the length of time that God used to accomplish creation. But I want to encourage you this morning. This passage invites us to marvel at the God who reveals himself as the one behind creation, to find a a life-changing sense of meaning by seeing that God had a purpose for our creation, and so that we can revel in a rich sense of significance in relationship to the God of creation. Genesis 1 is brilliant, and it's much, much more meaningful than simply reading it and saying, how long did it take us to get here? The real interesting question is not how, it is why. Here's today's sermon in a sentence. All creation exists because of the love of God. All creation is enjoyed in worship to God, and all creation is being restored by the grace of God. See, Genesis 1 is both prose and poetry. I just read it. It's prose. It's, it's talking about what God did, how God is the creator of all things. But it's poetic in its elements, and the Hebrew language makes this very clear, that it's describing what God did in a very poetic way. So that's why it's very repetitive. It's very lyrical. There's phrases that are repeated. It's symmetrical. You've got three days of you've got uh, six days of creation divided perfectly in half. The first three days, the language is separate, separate, separate. The second three days, the language is fill, fill, fill. All six days are connected by repetitive statements. And God said, and God said, ten times. 
Seven times this phrase is repeated, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good. What form, what literary genre is that repetitive? Poetry, lyric, song. What am I saying? What I'm saying is God is describing what he did in a majestic and a poetic way. So he did literally do it, but Genesis 1 and 2, taken together, this is I'm just short Hebrew lesson so we can appreciate the gravity here, Genesis chapter 1 that I just read is very extremely poetic. Genesis chapter 2 is extremely literal. And God goes to the ground and he forms a historical Adam and he makes him from the, the dust of the ground and Genesis 2 unpacks the literal Adam in a, in a practical way. This happens again in Exodus 14 and 15. It happens again in Judges 4 and 5 where Exodus 14, you know, the, the literal crossing of the Red Sea. Exodus 15, a very poetic song about that. Judges chapter 4, Deborah is this valiant leader, and under her leadership, she goes to Barak, and there's deliverance. Genesis, uh, sorry, Judges 4, and then in Judges 5, a poetic song, saying the same thing, describing it. So this is just what the language does. So when I say misread, what I'm saying is we don't want to get lost in how long it took us to get here. So if you're here and you're exploring Christian faith, you say, well, I, it's not, I can't possibly be a Christian, because I believe the earth is old. I got news for you. Christian faith is not hinging on how old you think the earth is. Christian faith is hinging on what you believe about the life and the death and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ. So there's always been debate on this text, and I'm going to move on from it now, but there's always been debate on it. Is it literal six days, 24-hour periods, or is it six ages? Because the Hebrew allows you to, you know, the word day in Hebrew is day, age, season, Okay, so that debate has always been there. What I am saying to you this morning is don't get hung up on planting a flag in Genesis 1 as to, it being, as to that being its sole purpose. Because then we miss the gravity and the beauty of God who wants to reveal himself in Genesis 1. Genesis 1 is mag magnificent, not only because analyzing the cosmos stimulates our minds, but because seeing God's purpose for creating the cosmos satisfies our souls it is seeing our purpose and it being swept up into god's great uh purpose for creation that we find satisfaction so we're going to look at three things here's the first thing we're going to look at how all creation exists because of the love of god how can we say that if we say love is intrinsic to the universe if we say that life is all about love how is that true and why is that true and on what basis is that true is it just cute to say, well, life is all about love, or is that really true? In, in verse 1, in the very first verse, the very three words of the Bible, in the beginning, in the Hebrew, is one word, Bereshit. So the first word of the Bible gives us an entirely different new paradigm. Because if there's a beginning, there's also an end. If you begin something, you have an end goal in mind. The first word of the Bible says to you, Despite everything that you're going through and all of the challenges and all of the hurt and all the frustration, we look out at the world and go, what's wrong with it? There was a beginning. There is an end. The God of great grace created this universe in his great love. Again, how can we say that? Well, we can say it because of what uh, we're given in verse 26. In verse 26, God says, let us make man in our image. What's this? Is this the royal we? Who's the us? Is it God and the angels? It's not the angels. We weren't created in the angels' image. God says, let us. What does this teach us? This teaches us that within himself, God is a loving community. That here in creation, here in this first chapter that I just read you, we have God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. 
We have God the Father who is orchestrating all of creation like a, like a magnificent conductor. We have God the Father there doing that. We have God the Son who is the Word that spoke creation. We get this from John, John chapter 1 where John looks back at... John looks back at creation and he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and that Word is Jesus Christ. So in the beginning you've got God conducting creation. You've got the Son who is the Word, the agent in which creation came for. God the Father, God the Son. And then you've got God the Spirit. There in, in, we see it in the first few verses. In the beginning God created the heavens of the earth. Right, The earth was formless and without void. And the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters. You've got God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. You've got this community. When the Spirit hovers over the face of the waters, that's not just hovering like some sort of a force. The word Hebrew for hover is, this, is the word they would normally use it for when a mother bird is hovering over her nest. So the mother bird is fluttering over the nest before she lands, on her, uh, lands to nurture her young, or she's hovering over the nest because she's trying to teach her young to fly. So it's personal. That's my point. The point is that that word is personal. So you've got God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, the, tr- the Trinity here in creation. The only way love is possible is in community. If God was a singular entity for all of creation, just a singularity, then that would mean that the basis of creation wasn't love. Because, lo- because love wouldn't have existed until God created something to love. So what we learn from Genesis 1 is that love wasn't the result of creation. Love propelled creation. What we get from this um, incredible text, from, from this, uh, the trinity of God's great love being, being revealed, is that within himself, he was expressing something and expanding something. And all creation exists because of his love. Which is why, regardless of your worldview, when you look out at the world, and you see that uh, the, the atrocities that are happening, or you go home and you're dealing with the pain and the brokenness of your life, Relationship, things that go south, things that are unloving. That's why there's something down us that goes, something's wrong. This isn't right. And the reason why all human beings, regardless of the worldview, do that is because the Creator propelled the creation in love. Love was the basis for creation. And something broke it called sin. And as a result of that, we, we live with this idea that something is out and it needs to be put right again. And so God was not alone and needy. He was sufficient within himself and there was love within himself. And to borrow from Augustine, Augustine said that from the beginning God was giving everything that was God to everything that wasn't God. So in essence, creation of the cosmos was the result of God saying within himself, let's expand this circle of loving community. All of creation was created because of the love of God, because God himself is love. Which takes us to the next thing, which is that all creation is enjoyed in worship to God. There, you know, there's a lot of religious views that operate on the premise that the material world isn't important, the natural world isn't important. Because, you know, the, the, the body is the prison house of the soul. This world is all an illusion, or it's all corrupt, or it's all bad, or it's all evil. And the goal of spirituality is to get out of it. That's not Christian faith at all. Christian faith, the story of the Bible, is not evacuation. It's restoration. I mean, the whole biblical narrative from Genesis to Revelation, when God says, in the beginning, and then when you go to Revelation 21, 22, to see how does this thing end, we're not leaving. 
That's coloring book Christianity. God is coming. That's how this thing ends. He's restoring. He's not a, when the fall of man occurred and the sin of man came that, that caused all of us to have need for a savior uh, of the great grace of Jesus Christ. You know, God, God wasn't up in heaven going, no, you, you win this round, devil. We'll just blow it up and start in another cosmos. God's conceding nothing. God lost nothing. He's not intimidated. He's restoring everything. And so the way that we actually enjoy creation is not by having uh, a religious, spiritual view that the natural world doesn't matter. And we don't want to go into the other ditch where the naturalist view, the, the, the naturalists will say, well, this world matters the most because it's all there is. There's nothing beyond it. There is no afterlife. There is no God. There is no Jesus. All of these faiths are, are uh, uh, these are just pipe dreams. There's only the material world. Well, if that's true, then you have no, you have no, you have no choice but to make the material world the thing. You have no choice but to wake up every day and, and, Put your personal happiness on the throne. Because cosmically speaking, you're a fruit fly. You're here and gone. There was an ocean of time before you got here. There's an ocean of time after you leave. You can, you can say this matters and this matters and this matters and this is really important and we should fight for this. But at the end of the day, there's just an ocean of time after all of us fruit flies are gone. And we had our, had our day in the sun. That's the, those are the two, the two bookends of seeing nature as absolutely everything or seeing nature as unimportant. But the gospel, the message of the Bible, fires right down the middle and says, actually, the way to enjoy creation most fully is not to worship it and not to be indifferent to it. It's to see that there was a loving God that created it, so now we are able to fully enjoy it and, and, and be a part of God's restorative program for it. Genesis 1 stands uh, against both of those views. How do you enjoy creation? You can only enjoy it in worship to God. I read verse two, uh, chapter 2 in the first couple of verses where God stops from all his work and then he rests. Right? The Shabbat. Right? The Sabbath. That's where we get that word Sabbath from. God rests. He's not tired. He didn't exert himself. It wasn't difficult to create the cosmos. He rests to enjoy this is all about celebration. This is all about enjoying. God is going through the universe and he's going, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. What is he doing? Don't read Genesis 1 like some sort of ancient scientific essay where God is, where God is doing um, some sort of quality control thing like the Toyota plant up on Fountain Street. He's not going through the universe and going, okay, that checks out. It's good. Um, yeah, no, yeah, that, okay. Cosmo, that checks out. That's good. How are we doing with the planets? You know, Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, Cape, that's good. Pluto, hmm. I don't know. Is Pluto good? Is it not good? You know, we'll let the humans decide. Right? Like, that's not what's happening here. It's not, a ch- he's not, it's not quality control. It's celebration. Which is why Sunday morning church is supposed to be celebration. We gather to rest. Stop working for crying out loud. Don't treat Sunday like Saturday volume two. Not because God won't love you less. Not because there's a heavenly uh, uh, attendance report. That has nothing to do with it. It's because you can't even enjoy your life unless you plug your soul into the very one who created your soul in worship to him. It's a great celebration. It's this picture of, of, uh, of God 
giving us this great gift so that our souls could be drawn back into awe. That's what Sunday is for. That's what, the, that's what God's rest was. He just celebrated it all. He goes, wow. That's why we gather and we sing his praises. We think about him and reflect it. Because day to day, Monday to Saturday, we're looking at things going, what's wrong with the world? But the good news is that, of course, God is restoring it. And we now get to rest in the great grace of that restoration. We get to, to uh, be recipients of his restoration. And we get to be agents of his restoration. All from this great place of, of resting in the work that Christ has done for us. Because Christ was the one who was there at creation. Christ was the agent of creation. He was the word. He was the agent by which all things came into being. So he's the Lord of creation and he's the Lord of our recreation. And so we gather and we enjoy this great, this great uh, rest in him. So when God is saying, it's good, it's, it's celebration. That's like when you put the drink down and you go, ah, that's good. You put the fork down and you go, yeah, that's good. It's so good. You flip the fork around. You salute the food. You salute the food with the fork. That's what we do. You take it, mm, and then you flip the fork around and you go, yeah, it's good. That's what God is doing here. It's good, the fork flip, yeah. And so that's what Sunday is for us. It's yes, we, we enjoy, even in the brokenness of this world. In the, that's why Christian faith, hope in Christ, being united to Christ, resting in his grace, allows us to have a hope that transcends the circumstances of the brokenness that we are constantly surrounded by, that we are even constantly wrestling with ourselves. God is repeatedly celebrating over his creation. You're very good. This is why when we look at nature, we feel like its beauty is calling us in. That's why the bigness of the sky, the mesmerizing formation of the clouds, the breathtaking sunsets, the mountains, the forests, the vastness of the ocean, the tranquility of the lake as you're at the cottage with your family. It's like nature wants to suck you into it. You feel like you want to be a part of it. It's because God sang over all creation. And he said, it's good. And there's something in every human soul that wants to be sung over. Tell me I'm good. And yet, we look around at our world and we go, something's not good. We're in need of a Savior. Who will bring rest to my soul so that I can sing like creation sings in the rest that my Maker is singing over me? What can be done so that in a world that is broken, the Creator can look down on me and say, I'm good. Though I look in the mirror and I know very well, I'm not that good. And all of us who are in here are honest, we recognize that, we see that. What can be done? What is the solution? It's like creation is calling our souls, our, our souls to, to join in. In the 1900s, there was a famous theologian, his name was G.K. Chesterton, and somebody interviewed him one time, and they said, what's wrong with the world today? And he said, I am. Didn't even skip a beat. Because he knows something's off. Something's got to be fixed. Who can do it? Who can do this? Creation was created in perfection, but our sin brought damnation. And so God, in his great grace, through Christ, offers redemption, and we're all on a glorious trajectory of Restoration. George Whitfield was a famous Anglican preacher in the 1700s, and he said this, Haven't you noticed that when you come near to animals, 
They bark at you and they growl at you and the birds screech and they fly away. It's like they know we have a quarrel with their master. Brilliant. Right? God gave the highest dignity to man in the garden. He gave him free will. Adam had free will. And Adam and Eve used their free will to slap the creator in the face by being their own God. And you and I would have done the exact same thing. He was our federal representative. None of us would have made a different choice because the temptation was you don't need God, you can be God. And so he slapped him in the face. Now, we all know that any child can slap any father in the face because the father is holding the child up so close as to kiss the child. The child can do that. And that's what happened. That's what our parents did. And that's why the world is in the state that it is. And that's why we're in a quarrel with our master. And that's why all of creation invites us to worship him. But we have a problem with it. That's why you can look into the cosmos and have your mind blown by the 15 constants in science that have to be operating within one millionth of a millionth in order for organic life to exist on Earth. And you can stare that in the face and say, no, there's not a God. Because something's off. Alvin Plantinga is a philosopher, a professor of philosophy at Notre Dame University, and he said this, is it reasonable to to play cards with a man who has four aces Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hands in a row? And is it reasonable to assume he's not cheating? What is more reasonable? He says that's like looking out into the, 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 the anthropic principle of the cosmos, at how everything has been designed by this majestic creator, and look at all of that and say, you know, science is just handing itself four aces trillions of times, and we refuse to look at that and go, my God, there is a God, there is a creator. Something's off. So the way we enjoy creation is to rest in the goodness of the Creator, is to rest in worship to the one who has, uh, who has uh, brought the creation into being, which leads us to the final thing, that all creation is being restored by the grace of God. If all of nature is so beautiful, it's like we feel our souls being sucked into it. You know, you go and you travel to these other countries and you observe these places and things and you feel like your soul's being sucked in. I mean... And we want so much the the maker to be crying over us. It is good. You are good. Which he did in the beginning. How can we have him cry that again? It is by the grace of Christ. It is by putting faith in Christ. It is by the way we have our maker say over us, you are very good. Again, it is by putting our hope and our faith in the only one who was very good. Jesus Christ, the perfect life that we never lived. He lived it. The death that we deserve to die. He died it. The resurrection gives us hope that there is a restoration. Christ the risen Lord. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him. And without Him, nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and Him was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That's John 1. But it sounds incredibly like Genesis 1. And the reason for that is because there's this thematic unity, there's this doctrinal consistency between creation and recreation. In the beginning, there was darkness. Life was not possible. So the spirit moved, the word spoke, and then light shone. That was creation. But in our beginning, we, were, we have all been born into darkness. And self-salvation was not possible. And so the Spirit of God moved as the gospel was preached, as the word of Christ was preached. And then he shone his light into our hearts. 
The process of creation is the process of our recreation. Right in Genesis 1, from the way he hovered over the darkness and the depths of the waters and brought life where there was none, that anticipates redemption. Right from the beginning of the Bible, right from the first few verses of the Bible, God is inviting us into the redemptive story. He's inviting us into a meta-narrative of grace. He's inviting us into the goodness of Jesus and what he's planning on doing. God, before the foundations of the world, had planned this. God who commanded light from the darkness. He shines his light into our darkness with the hope of Jesus Christ. That's 2 Corinthians 4. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. That's 2 Corinthians 5. Creation was by grace alone, and it was by the initiative of God alone. And our recreation is by grace alone, by the initiative of God alone. The God who made matter was willing to humble himself and become matter. God who created us from the dirt of the ground was willing to clothe himself in the clay of his own creation. The eternal word that said, let there be light, was willing to cry in a manger. In the beginning, the Son of God spoke and creation happened. But on the cross, the Son of God spoke and nothing happened. In the beginning... The Son of God created a world without form and void. But then on the cross, Jesus was made without form and void. In the beginning, the Word of God filled the void, filled the emptiness. But on the cross, Jesus was emptied himself. In the beginning, the Spirit of God hovered over creation. But on the cross, the Spirit of God was not hovering over Jesus. The one who enjoyed eternal, loving community was forsaken so that we could enjoy eternal, loving community. On the cross, our God was willing to be unmade so that the Lord of creation would have us be remade. Lord of creation was willing to die so that we would be able to live. And so, God is taking the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. He is taking the beginning to a glorious end. For you and for me. We're all going to walk out of these doors today. And we all have to go on Monday. And we have to head into the challenges of a broken world. Around us, in us. We all have to walk into that. But the goodness of God's grace is this. We already know how it ends. And we already know what God's goal is. See, the the protology means you study how a thing begins. And eschatology means you study how a thing ends. Good news, church. God is taking our protological ruin and he's restoring it into this beautiful eschatological dream and gift of grace for you. He is restoring us. And so as, as that being true, we now are not just passive observers in God's restoration in the city, in relationships here. We're not just passive about that. God's grace does something to us. We're not passive about it. But we're also not burdened by it. You, the burden of restoring this city and restoring relationships is not on, you can't do that. So you're not observing God's restoration, but you're also not driving it. You and I now are joyous participants in God's restoration. So we love mercy and we do justice in this room, in this city. That's the church for the city. As those who have come to rest as those who are now in celebration, as those who have entered into the song of creation, if you are here and your faith is in Christ, 
God is singing over you. You're good, you're good, you're good because of Jesus. Enter into the song of creation and rejoice. All creation exists because of the love of God. It's enjoyed and worshiped to God, and we're being restored by the grace of God. Let's pray.